2: Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. Steve here with Jimmy to discuss uh, a disappointing result in the end at the San Siro against Inter. We'll talk about the match in depth as, as we go on. Also though, since the last time we recorded, a big win in, in the Europa League against Slavia Prague. Uh, Roma took care of business there 2-0. So Jim, before we get to the San Siro, just quickly, a minute or two, let's just touch on the importance of that win against Prague. Because I know I know we're all a little downtrodden after yesterday's performance, you know, and, and the way that match ended, but... Heading into it, Roma was on a five-match win streak in all competitions, uh, including getting that big win on Thursday at home against Slavia. I mean, they really handled their business well. It was a 2 nothing victory, but just the way they came out, Bove scored early. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember who scored the second goal, but but Roman was, uh, oh, it was uh, Lukaku, of course. Yes, it was. Um, 2 nothing before halftime, and they just took care of business, really didn't concede a whole lot. I mean, that's what you want from Roma in the in these Europa League-type matches leading into a big match because you know, you're going to expend a lot of energy on Sunday. And I I was impressed with the Thursday match uh, from what I saw of it. I've been impressed with the
0: past five matches period um, prior to this inter match. Uh, I've been saying it for weeks now, the way that Roma is going to get top four, isn't going to be by beating clubs like inter. It's going to be by beating clubs that it needs to beat so that it's on level footing with clubs like inter. You can't, Like just, I mean, I hate to sound like a parrot of Mourinho here, but the fact of the matter is that Inter has far more depth than Roma does at this point. We've done a lot of good work to get Roma to having more depth, but they're not just there just yet. And what that means is that you need to win against the small sides and you need to compete seriously in the Europa League. I'm hoping that in the near future Roma can get wins against clubs like Inter. I think that the core pieces of this squad have that ability in them. But looking at these last five or six matches, it's frustrating to think about how many points were lost in the first several weeks of the season, because interloss notwithstanding, the club is doing a whole lot better at handling the sides they're supposed to handle over the past month or so. And I'm ho- and granted, the schedule is going to start getting a little more challenging now. So that could all be for naught. But I still think that past the Lecce match, past the next Prague match, there's the Derby della Capitale on the 12th. We know that Lazio hasn't looked like, you know, a world beater this season. But let's be honest, neither is Roma. That's going to always a difficult match, no matter how well either club is playing. Um, looking at the calendar, I think that the biggest thing is if Roma can, for the next two months, play and win against the sides they're supposed to play and win against losses like this one against Inter won't be fatal.
2: Yeah, I, I, I know. And I think that's what I, I really hope it doesn't come back to, to bite Roman. We're not kicking ourselves come into the season. Cause the, you mentioned the start to the season, right? Because now the schedule does get tougher. Lazio hasn't been great either so far this season. Um, but at the same time, they're still two points ahead of Roma at this at this juncture, right? After they got their Wednesday 95th minute penalty kick from Chiro Immobile to, to dispatch a Fiorentina, um, you know, put them ahead of Roma. So that, that's going to loom large in two weeks. They can't overlook Lecce coming up because those are the kind of matches we've, we've referred to where you have to take care of business in those kind of matches, right? Uh, Lecce has cooled off from where they were earlier in the season playing really well. Um, and now they're back to playing like a mid to lower level. You know, club lower table club, and, and Roma's gonna have to take advantage of that. Roma's really gonna have to to get those three points on on Sunday afternoon here in the East Coast, I think, they're evening in Italy that they're playing. But um, they're gonna have to get those three points because the derby's always tough. You could get a you know almost guaranteed a gritty affair, and and you know one bad bounce, one one bit bad tackle that leads to a, a card, with, like we've seen in and things could go awry quickly, and then if you don't get those points against Lecce, and then all of a sudden you could be staring down a three-match losing streak again. You know, and I'm hope I'm I'm pulling the reverse jinx here, and, and and it just you know sparks Roma to win both of those matches. But you know, I, I get what you're saying. Like it, it gets tougher now, and then I know around Christmas time, um, Roma's got like Juve, um, I want to say like Juve, Fiorentina, and Napoli, like in a three-week span or something like that, and or maybe. Yeah, I want to say it's those three, but it's some combination of tough, tough sides, right? So Roma's gonna have to find their points. You know, we're gonna talk about this Inter match. Roma's gone to Inter in one last season. That's kind of like an exception to the rule in recent seasons. But Roma's proven they can do it. Um, But they really do need all hands on deck for something like that to happen. And and that was the biggest uh, issue on Sunday. Is you know there weren't all hands on deck. There haven't been for most of the season for Roma. You know we've. Been without pa- uh, Paulo Dybala for a few weeks now. We've been without Chris Smalling for a few weeks now. Uh, he's got to be pushing over a month now. I, you know, come to think of it, uh, Pellegrini's been missing time. Sanchez, and then we lost Spinazzola after Thursday. Who didn't even start on Thursday, but came off the bench, I believe, and then uh, picked up a little something because he was not called up on Sunday. And they could have used him um, on Sunday because I know the gold didn't come from his side, but man. Uh, Nikola Zalewski, who's getting cooked by Denzel Dumfries, and it just shows like when a player like that is playing out of position uh, defensively, and he's got to defend a really good attacking wing back or winger, uh, he can really look like a fish out of water. I, I felt bad for Zalewski at times on on uh, yesterday afternoon because it was uh, he was he was <laughs> put through the spin cycle a few times, and you know some of those absences like Spinazzola, big big absence. You know DiBala goes without saying especially when you can't generate any attack. Uh, Pellegrini in the midfield, connecting that, that deeper line midfield to the attack. Um, and and then Smalling in the defense. And, and the defense played well without Smalling. So, um, you know, I don't want to say anything bad about the defense because I really thought they held up well, and we'll talk about that. But, you know, and Sanchez, I mean, he's not an out-and-out starter right now in this club because he just hasn't been available enough. But you're talking about four probably starters and then an impact sub missing from a Roma side that does not have much depth. I mean, when, when you read off... I'll read off the starting eleven and then who was available to play, right? And you look, and it's you know, Lukaku and El Shari up front is fine, uh, with in Dybala's absence. and, you know, you have Zaleski and Christensen playing the wing back positions, Bove, Paredes, and Cristante center mid. Um, you know, Bove probably doesn't start in 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 the presence of uh Pellegrini, but you know, Paredes and Cristante do. Uh back line mancini, Lorente, and Dika, and Patricio. And it's funny because the guy who ended up with the highest uh, rating here on sofa scores, the guy who probably doesn't start up small available. It's uh, Lorente was rated hot man of the you know, Roma's man of the match at 7.7. 7. Uh, but the issue becomes when you look at the bench, Jim, this is what Roma had available. He had Selic, Awar, Belotti, Asmun, who all came off the bench, and then the rest of the bench read Zvilar, Boer, the, the two backup goalies, uh, Karsdor, Pagano, Costa, Pisilli, D'Alessio, and K. Rubini. And those last five I just read are all guys who are pretty much promoted from the primavera. Um, and that's it, right? So when Mourinho talks about injuries, I mean, it some might say it's an excuse or an alibi, but it, it, it's really just facts, right? Yeah. When you're talking about what Inter has starting and then coming off the bench, it just goes to show, like, they have the quality, especially without the injuries that Roma had. I mean, they were missing Arnautovic and Cuadrado, who are not out-and-out starters from their side. And they were able to bring, off, bring players on like Fratezzi off the bench. And... You know, one of our center backs has an injury, so DeVry can come off the bench, an experienced player who can can do that and take up some, you know, minutes. And it's just, it's tough for Roma when you have that many major injuries going into a match like this.
0: Yeah, and I would just say that, you know, we've been following and writing about Roma for long enough that we know that this is not like some freak occurrence for Roma to have a lot of injury issues over the years. At this point, I just think it's, Horrendous luck, like the joke about Trigoria being built on an ancient Roman burial ground, feels like it's got some weight to it. Yeah. Uh, and, but unfortunately, there's no real response to it other than doing what clubs with wealth do, which is over time building up a squad so that you effectively have two starting 11s, mm-hmm. um, so that you don't have to worry as much about losing three or four senior pl- squad players because then you just say, okay, well, I guess the backups who are still league average or better get get a chance to play. I mean, like, that's just what you got to do. And the problem is that, as we all know, Roma's finances have not allowed for that for a very long time. Hopefully, as Roma gets more successful and as, you know, maybe that stadium gets built, it'll be more feasible for Roma to build up a deeper squad. Until then, I mean, let's just be honest. Especially with that forty-eight hour gap between the Europa League match and this one, it's not exactly that surprising that Roma was, didn't have what it take
2: took to beat uh, Inter. Yeah, and we, and you know we talk about adding depth. And Roma has added some decent depth this off season. I, I give Thiago Pinto credit for that, but it's the injuries, right? Because if yeah. if we have those five players available, say in a perfect world where everyone's fit. You have players like Al Shirari coming off the bench as a spark plug. You have Zalewski as a spark plug off the bench. You have Bove who can spell someone in the midfield and give you quality minutes off the bench. Um, and then Sanchez is probably coming in off the bench if he doesn't start, right? So you, there you go. You have your five subs ready to go. And, and yeah. Belotti is probably the fifth, you know, depending on the situation, if you need a goal or whatever. Um, that's where the difference is. And it's the injuries that are just derailing this side and you know with everyone healthy fully healthy for a full season I think Roma has top four quality uh, and, and enough of it um but when we have to go through prolonged spells like this they're probably no better than seventh or eighth because you can't just keep relying on the same 11 players with so little depth behind them right you basically your only option of rotation right now with the current group of players injured is do we start Alar or Bove in the midfield, probably. Um, and do we start El Shaarawy or Balotelli up front and maybe as gets a sniff here or there and, and yeah. then you, you have some options at right back and that's pretty much it. No, that is, that is almost entirely it. And yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times we can keep
0: on saying this, but a lot of it just comes down to the best ability is availability. And on the flip side of that, Roma's finances kind of dictate that if they want to get world beater level players, you're going to have to probably deal with the fact that they're injury prone. Um, And I mean, Renato Sanchez is a great example of that. When I've seen him play, when he's actually been on the pitch, he's been impressive. Um, Ditto with Chris Smalling, though. This is a very new issue for Chris Smalling. It was more that he was already on the older side and people thought he was kind of done before he came to Roma and he's proved them wrong. I'd say he's been one of the best defenders in Italy for the past several seasons. Yeah. But, you know, To a certain extent, Roma has to buy not damaged goods in a terrible way, but like slightly damaged goods if they're going hunting for like a star level player right now. And. Yeah, that's just the way that it goes. Um, I'm hopeful that, you know, one thing that I think should really be appreciated about this Roma side that Mourinho has been building up is that compared to kind of the reputation he had coming to Roma, He's really invested in developing younger players. Uh, Imagine where Romo would be if Eduardo Bove and Nikola Zalewski had not developed into players where they are consistent first team starters. Uh, Zalewski alone, like he's had some bad form, but for the first two seasons under Mourinho, he became a very important player for this side and for good reason. And I still believe that, you know, this is that form is temporary, class is permanent. We've seen enough from Zalewski over the years to know that he'll be back up at his peak levels eventually. Um, but yeah, imagine what the side would be like if we didn't have a Bove and we didn't have a Zalevsky and we didn't have like even a Svilar um, yeah. who's was able to come in and look pretty impressive in Europa League matches. To me, that's an achievement. That's the way that Roma's going to be able to develop depth in the short term by finding these younger players who can come in and actually play at the level that we have all hope they could play at. I don't know who that's going to be this season. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see Ricardo Pagano get, get us get some run uh, because he's been really hyped up coming from, you know, the rumor mill, but also just the manager himself has said good things about Pagano. Um, I know that Ricardo Solbes is also a pretty highly rated young prospect. He's a striker right now, mainly with the Primavera, but he trains with the senior squad regularly. Point being yeah, I mean, I don't know, Steve. <laughs> it it sucks, but at the end of the day, this is kind of what you sign up for when you're supporting a club like Roma. Uh, you get a lot of passion, but you don't necessarily get the depth of an Inter Milan.
2: Yeah, and like it's still hard to comment on like the actual match play in this one, right? Because you, you we talk, and I don't want to you know beat a dead horse, but when you when you think about the way these two teams matched up in terms of who's on the pitch. It's so hard to criticize the approach that Roma went with, which was defend like hell and then hopefully find some way to get a goal. Yeah. Um, that was
0: the way to do it. Let's be yeah. Clear. yeah.
2: With, with who was on the pitch that that was hundred percent. I mean, you look at the stats, it was ugly, right? If you just covered up the, the the final score and you just read off the stats, you probably would have thought this was a two, three, nothing match at minimum because the XG was 2.3 to 0.14 in Inter's favor They controlled 63% of possession, outshot Roma 19-3, but Roma was able to hold them just three shots on target. Um, You know, they blocked seven shots. Uh, Inter had nine off target, but they also hit the post twice. You know, Roma dodged a couple bullets too. I mean, they had a couple really good chances at scoring earlier in the match. Um, And it was interesting because during the broadcast, uh, Matteo Bonetti, who calls the games on Paramount here in the U.S., is... uh, you know he's a he's a, a known Milan supporter, and he basically said, you know, like, you know, Roma gets a lot of criticism, and, and he he gives Roma plenty of criticism in other matches for like their approach to matches under Mourinho. Did. So not to say he's always defending Roma, but in this one he was not exactly defending. Stronger sure Milan fan is anti Mourinho. Yeah, but us yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. but um, you know he was defending their approach. It was probably about the seventy. What do you what do you want to say? Like seventy fifth minute or so. I want to say because yeah. let's see, the goal was scored in the eighty first. So. Probably about the seventy seventh, seventy eighth minute, right? Pretty close, yeah. to the eightieth minute. And he was saying, you know, like Roma might not be creating much right now, but they are not giving. I mean, they've held Inter basically goalless for almost eighty minutes now. Like, and then you think about what Milan did. Yes, this is their own stadium, so it technically wasn't. They didn't have to come here. It was. I think it was technically their away match, and they played the high line. They tried to play progressive football, and they <clears throat> they got thrashed for five goals. And it's like maybe what Roma's was doing is better. And then literally like 30 seconds later inter scores, yeah. of course, because he, he put the, the Malocchio on Roma. It, yeah. You know, There Seriously. was the jinx of all jinxes. Um, and you said it in our group text. And I had just texted it to my other buddy who was watching the match. And um, it was just like, of course, because he just said it inter scores, but it's like, if Roma had taken the approach of, we're going to go, we're going to try to somehow control possession. And we're going to be um, attacking like, What would they really have accomplished? Because I think if they play so open um, to try to dictate play in any way, shape, or form yesterday, I think they get absolutely mauled.
0: I mean, we've seen what happens when not this Roma, actually maybe kind of this Roma, but most of the time it's been other Romas that have gone against a club of greater quality, tried to control possession, play free-flowing, beautiful football, and then get a new one, get get ripped a new one. Like, those 7-1 losses didn't happen because Romo was playing, like, compact defensive football uh, that people might criticize as anti-football. Those losses happened because Romo was trying to play free-flowing football, and they came up against sides that were, quite frankly, much better than them. And... I think that sometimes in Serie A, smaller sides get criticized for not playing free-flowing football against the big clubs. And I believe me, it's sometimes frustrating to watch Roma play a minnow and see them not really going for anything other than one point. But at the same time, the goals goal might be different for those clubs that's trying to stay out of the relegation zone. For Roma, it's trying to get into the Champions League. But one point would have been significant against Inter, and I. I'll be honest, there were as much as there weren't many chances, that Cristante goal required a massive amount of effort from the inter-goalkeeper Yeah, Sommer uh, made a really good save. That was an incredible save. Uh, and that just has to be, you know, applauded effectively. Like that's just very good goalkeeping. Um, this game could have ended one-one, it could have ended zero-zero, it could have ended one-zero Roma uh because of kind of the anti-football POV that Roma provided to the match I don't think that without DiBala and without you know a huge number of critical players for Roma's playmaking that the side really could have won a beautiful game and Mourinho knew that and like people sometimes criticize Mourinho for playing ugly football but I would say that in this match the tactics that were required were ugly tactics
2: yeah, I, I agree. And if that Cristante chance goes in, and it was literally the only chance Roma created the whole match. But if it goes in, we're having a we very good conversation about, right now. Yeah, yeah, we could be talking about a 1 nothing stolen victory by Roma because then maybe they're able to defend those last 15, 20 minutes uh, and not concede. Maybe they, they find a way to get it done. Or at worst, because maybe the they, they walk away a with the 1 1. Job. Let's
0: just be clear about that. Yes. It's not, like, you can't just play anti football and have like, poor defenders and like, no, like, cross your yeah. fingers the defenders did an excellent job now on the actual, you know, play by play of the match for uh, the fans in America. Uh, Bonetti was very critical of Nikola Zalewski. I would push back against that slightly simply because we know what Zalewski good at and it's being an attacking presence like Spinazzola, neither Spinazzola yeah. nor Zalewski are intended to be kind of like a, a wall in the defense. That's not how Roma's tactics usually work. The flip side of that means that when they really try to just, like, create a wall in the defense, a player like Zalewski or Spinazzola is going to get exploited. That's just the fact of life. Um, however, I got to say, Ndika, uh, Lorente, they looked excellent in this match. Yeah. Um, excellent. Like, Lorente in particular really impressed me in terms of being able to make that last second save. And you can say that that's luck, but a lot of defending is making the right decision and luck. And both Lorente and and Indica did a very good job of doing that. And Mancini also as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mancini and Indica also kind of took good yellows, I would say, uh, in the match. Neither of them got sent off, obviously, but they did both pick up yellow cards but they were good yellows in the sense that they made the decision to get a yellow, to kind of hold up things. And you got to do that sometimes when you're playing this style of football against a very free flowing attacking team like inter. So there are, I'm not out here saying that this was a good match by Roma because I think a draw would, would have had me say that. However, I saw the vision, if that makes sense. Like, I understood what was going on there tactically, and I thought that at least on the defensive side, things went well. I will say that it was frustrating, and this is why you miss having players like Dybala and Pellegrini. Um, It was frustrating how little service Lukaku got, because I think that if he had gotten even a little bit more service, that there would have been more chances. But, I again, like, I got to give props to the defenders um i gotta give props to Rudy patricio because he looked quite good uh sometimes you just don't sometimes you he try made a real good kick defense.
2: save hockey style kick save on that one uh, yeah pretty close uh, shot on target i remember yeah
0: and like just putting it simply sometimes you can try as hard as you want on defense and the shot still goes in
2: yeah yeah, yeah. um so as we were talking i pulled up Lorente's numbers because it, it popped out at me before when i pulled it up and now that we're on the topic, like he had a massive match and this is your fourth center back. So like credit to him. I I think he he's turning into a really solid signing as your fourth center back rotation player. He had 10 clearances, 5 block shots, an interception, 3 tackles. He was only dribbled past once in the match. Um and in terms of duels, he won 4 to 5 ground duels, 3 out of 5 aerial duels. Uh, drew two fouls. So, I mean, I thought he had a really, really strong performance uh, considering the amount of pressure Roma was under. Um, you know, you mentioned Indica. Indica was solid with six clearances and two interceptions. It had that one yellow that was a tactical one. Mancini's was for arguing. Uh, I remember he stepped in for for somebody early in the match, and he was carded pretty early because he he was arguing a, a call. But, he you know, he had himself a pretty solid match. The defense played really well, um, you know it's tough when you're defending that long and yeah. for a player like Mancini with his style to, to not uh, pick up a second yellow card, like to not get caught in space and then make a, a silly foul. And, and I thought like he did a, a good job of that after he got the one for descent. Um, yeah, I, will also I, I know them. they, I, I just yeah. want to say, well, around Mancini it was funny during the match because Bonetti and whoever, the other guy was calling it with him said that, you know, Mancini led the league in yellows last season. I'm sitting there thinking, no, he didn't like that was two years ago. And yep. I guess uh, Bonetti tweeted it during the match, and one of our listeners, I I, I heard the name, and I was like, oh, he, looked, he he interacts with us, Irish Romanista, called him out and basically said, no, that wasn't this past season. Yeah, and he got a shout out on the air for correcting him. So shout out to our listener, Irish Romanista, and um, yeah. for fact checking there because Mancini's cleaned up his game a bit, and you know the, the, it was more the the talk, the back talk uh, in this one that got him. But yeah, the defense, you, you can't execute this game plan like you said, Jim, hundred percent without the defense stepping up because. Any little mistake, and Rumble would have been punished a lot earlier than the 81st minute.
0: I would also just say that looking at the kind of midfield play, granted, there were not many playmaking players in the midfield. Like, Cristante can do it when called upon, but that's not his strength, if you ask me. Um, I was really impressed by Bove and Cristante in this match. Uh, again, because both of them take on a relatively defensive role and that they're part of it as much as they're not out-and-out out defenders. I will also say that, especially in the second half, things got very chippy. Um, yes, yes. Like I, and I critique the referees constantly, but in my defense, they often require critique. Uh there were definitely one or two situations in there, especially around Bove, uh, where it was like, oh, okay, if you respected this player as more of like a star level player, you probably would be handing out a red card right now. Um, part of me like there there were several times where inter-attackers just decided, hey, I'm going to do a do try to do an overhead kick. Uh In the middle of the box, surrounded by defenders, and that's just not safe. Um, I saw at one point Salhanaglu uh went studs up on Bove.
2: Yeah, that was that was like one of those like orange tackles, right? Where you're like, yeah, it's like in between. That should have that if the ref was feeling a little more generous, that could
0: have been a rep. Mm -hmm. And I would just say that again the club, the team did a good job playing the tactics that they were supposed to play. I'm still disappointed. It was a loss, but I did see positives and it made me feel good about Roma's chances going forward, playing against other big sites.
2: Yeah. And I think too, when, if you have a couple more players available or going into another big match hole for the Derby in two weeks, um, you know, Dybalo's back and then maybe Smalling and hopefully Spinazzola and and, um, even, Possibly Pellegrini or Sanchez, we don't know, but like some combination of those players is, is back. was going to approach it a little more positively, right? I, and that—that's what it comes down to. You need the—you need the players available. Without Dybal, you don't have that dynamism in attack. Without Pellegrini, even you don't have that link-up play. Um, you know, Sanchez maybe that box-to-box midfield that could have pushed it once in a while, something like that. Those things are all missing. Spinazzola pushing that wing once in a while to kind of relieve the pressure off the defense. All that was missing to play the counterattack in football Roma wanted to play. You know, they didn't have the personnel really to play the counterattack the way you ideally want to play it. And it it, it was what it was. But I think you're right. I think Roma has what it takes to play with these bigger sides. They're just going to have to have the, the right players available. They're going to have to execute a game plan. And often enough, they, they have in recent weeks. But this was just a different beast. And to me, Inter is still the best team in the league. Um, they're in first for a reason right now. I, you know, does it mean they're going to win the Scudetto? Not necessarily, because I think Juve has a little bit of an advantage in not playing midweek matches. But on paper, I think Inter is the best team in the league, and, and they proved it. I think Teram is looking like a great signing for them. Um, you know, they have a lot of, like, you go around the pitch, and I saw it tweeted before the match, like, if you made a combined 11, just with available players, not with the injured players, so, so no Dybala, no, you know, some of those other guys. But if you made a combined 11 of the guys that were available for this match, like who from Roma starts on that inter side besides maybe Lukaku, right? And even that, like Lautaro and Turum are in great form right now. Yeah. So they didn't, Roma didn't really have an advantage anywhere at the pitch. Yeah. I mean, you know, Sommer starts over Patricio based on form right now. Um, you go across the back line, you know, I think arguments can be made for a couple of the Roma center backs, but are they head and shoulders above Pavard, Bastoni, or Acerbi? Probably not. You know, Barella, Chalanaglu, and Mkhitaryan in the center mid, right? I mean, that's a very good center mid. That front is a fourth midfielder for them. Yeah, Um, especially
0: in its kind of weakened state. Yes. I would say that Roma does not have many players that would be in the starting 11. I think Dybala and Pellegrini could be. Um, I think Lukaku could be. Uh, Yeah. I think that some of their defenders could be, but it would be tough. It'd be close. And... The problem is that Inter has so much more depth. Like, Fratesi just sat on the bench.
2: <laughs> like, Yeah, he came in, like, the 80th minute or something. Yeah, I think. he was, on was the, like, pretty like, late.
0: And, and let's just be honest. If he had signed for Roma, uh, if we had signed him, he would have been up, out He's and out. He's starting stronger. almost every match. At, at He's starting every, every match in It's it's Yeah, it's happening. So, I guess I would say that's the difference, um, unfortunately. And that takes a long time to fix.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only other, like... DeMarco starts for Roma right now. Uh, Maybe he's Spina, Roma, but not not Zalewski. I mean, it it just shows. Like, Roma was man for man just outmatched in that match. And their best player available on the pitch was Lukaku, who could barely get any service. So, um, you know, just to read Mourinho's comments, because it's always interesting to see what he has to say after a match. He said, Today the boys played with limitations and with accumulated fatigue. They had less time to prepare for the match, but they played an important and controlled match like, Interplay Champions League, yes, last week, but it was also Tuesday, I believe, they played. So that gave them that extra time off. Uh, the match could have ended in a draw because the team was very calm despite the difficulties. Yellow cards are the players who seem to have been chosen. The center backs, Mancini and Indica, the two midfielders, Paredes and Cristante, were booked. Um, so <laughs> a little, uh, you know, finger-pointing from Reno there. like It was almost like those four players were chosen, uh, so to speak. Uh, they changed Pavard on the first yellow card and we couldn't. I'm sorry for the boys because they made a great effort with an avoidable goal and perfectly controllable. Um I'm also sorry that there's no respect for my players. The referee's attitude with Manchini and Deke approves everything, but I'm happy with the team's handling and difficulties. We didn't have half the team speed solo Smalling, Ball, and Pellegrini were missing. Coming here without half the team with another gift from this from the league because we couldn't play on Monday, but on Sunday, the boys were good in their attitude. This is why I'm even sadder. They deserved more And, and I think that's the other part of it too. And not only are there so many players out, but fatigue becomes a factor. Because Roma played just uh, Thursday, and then they had to play Sunday. So literally two days off, most of the same guys had to start. And and, and that that adds up. Yeah, it really does.
0: Uh, I mean, I feel like I'm going around circles here. But until we get more players, until we get fewer injured players, two-day layover between matches, that's yeah. going to be really hard. Um, it's just in borderline impossible to get a win, especially if you're playing against an inter side. I, yeah, I mean, like, Sarriac came out and said, this was a marquee match. We wanted it on, we wanted it this way. So sorry to Roma that there was only a two-day gap. Like, and yeah. fact it,
2: I mean, like, that sucks, but they're right. And, and then you look too, Jim, not to interrupt, but like, you look at who played today. Who played today? Atalanta against yeah. Empoli. Atalanta played Thursday in Europa League as well. Uh, And then you look at the second match was Fiorentina Lazio and and Fiorentina played on Thursday in the uh, conference league. So Mourinho has a point there. It wasn't like everybody had to play on Saturday and Sunday.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's, it's frustrating, but at the same time, you know, complaints can only get you so far and I'm willing to complain about, I can complain about lack of depth. I can complain about the referees Mm -hmm. after a certain point. I just got to be like, okay, they tried their best. I'm impressed with the play and I think it bodes well for the future, even if it is a disappointing, you know, kind yeah. of events that they lost this one.
2: Yeah. I'm not going to read too much into this one. Um, you know, I came on here not even knowing where this conversation would go because I felt like there wasn't much to say because of the situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we've made a pretty solid episode out of it, I think, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not a match you could read a lot into. Like when they got blown out by Genoa, that was something to really examine, because you're like, why the hell are we losing 4-1 to Genoa, right? And that almost seemed to galvanize the team, because after that is when they went on the five-match win streak. Mm -hmm. I don't think this will be the match that, like, demoralizes anybody. I think this will be the match where they're like, you know what, we went toe-to-toe with the league leaders. Granted, we didn't, you know, create much, but defensively, we were able to go toe-to-toe with the the league leaders and, and held one of, if not the best attacks in the league, to one goal that didn't come until the 80th or so minute. So I think they can take more positives from this at least from the defensive perspective um than than they could in some of their other losses and I think that's important you know if they had gone to San Sierra and lost four five nothing then I think it starts to get in players' minds a bit but I think holding them to one nothing knowing how many of their teammates were unavailable and not that that not that any of those players are gonna make an excuse like that because they're all professionals they all want to be on the pitch anyway um I, I think in the back of their minds they all know that this could have been a lot more negative for them. Um, but one thing I wanted to close on, I, I saw a tweet uh, by the Gracchi brothers and he's a, he's a big Roma supporter. And he put out points per match in Serie a by Roma coaches over the past 10 years, ordered from best to worst. So I'm going to play a little uh, fun game with you here, Jim, since I, I don't think you've seen this yet, but there's seven managers on the list uh, in the last decade. Who do you think is the highest points per match manager Roma's had in the last decade? Is it Rudy Garcia? It is not. He is second. Okay. Is it uh, Spalletti? It is Spalletti. So it's Spalletti Garcia. Who do you think is third? Hmm. Fonseca. No. I I couldn't. I I'm not sure. Is this average it's, points per match? At, yeah, average points per match in Serie A over the past decade during hmm. their managerial ten years. Hmm. EDF. EDF is third.
0: Okay. I know Mourinho's last for the point of this. I'm sure yeah, that he, that's the he point. is last. Yes, he is but, seven okay. out of seven. I give, since I, since we're doing a shorter episode, I feel like I can pull off my best mad dog impersonation and, and rail against it at the concept. <laughs> sorry about sorry about this, folks, but like one thing that's I feel is so important to remember, especially when we're talking about average points per match, think about the different levels of competition that have existed in Serie A over the past decade. There's as much as I was really happy to see Roma consistently get second place finishes. There's a reason why what Roma was getting consistent second place finishes. I don't do, do people remember how dormant both Milan clubs were during that era? They were
2: Very dormant during that era.
0: Like, and just being honest, like look at the way that this season has started as much as you can say, Oh wow. Certain clubs, including Roma have not impressed. I would also equally say that just looking through the standings, there are more clubs with talented players on them than there have been before. There are fewer games where it's just like, oh, yeah, Roma's going to win. Or any big club is just going to roll them over. Like, I think that it's basically Salernitana and Cagliari. And even Empoli, even Empoli, who have looked quite poor, still have Tommaso Baldanzi. And he's an excellent player. And he's looked great to start this season as well. Um, Udinese... Uh, yeah, they're not exactly world beaters, but they're they've got some good guys on their team. Like they're they're officially like just looking at these the standings. It's harder to get points now than it was under the Rudy Garcia era. Yeah, that's that, why that, that
2: is a great point. That is that is the very I, that's, point. That's,
0: like I keep seeing people bring this up, and it pisses me off to no end. Not because I don't get that Roma has not been able to find as much success in the league over the past couple seasons but just because i feel like it's a complete it's it's bad data it's it's like lies damn lies and statistics and this is definitely one of those statistical things where it's like okay this can both be true and meaningless and the moment that you start comparing managers who are playing in leagues that were miles apart different from each other the moment that your data loses that's the moment your data loses meaning um so who was fourth i'm curious can you read off the rest of the
2: list yeah so Spalletti was 2.29 points per match garcia 1.99 edf uh 1.89 ranietti 1.83 andrea zoli was a very short spell uh 1.82 fonseca yeah. 1.74 Marinho 1.63 Were the yeah. the managers he had listed um, okay
0: i mean but again I've, I've given my little rant on that yeah. i i think like is it annoying that Roma hasn't done as well in the league as I think that they could? Yes. But it's also way more of a statement about the quality of the league now than it is about one manager being better or worse than the other.
2: Yeah. I, I think it's a combination of things like on the surface, it's like, wow. Like he was, you know, Spalletti was more than half a point better per match. Like, holy crap. Right. Um, and then it's on the other hand, it's like, you you do make that point about the Milan clubs and that's, that's a big factor. That's a very big factor when you think about the way the league is constructed. Um, so it's not always an apples-to-apples apples comparison, which I think your point kind of brings to light, which I think is important. Um, do we expect more from Mourinho because of who he is? I think I think that's part of it. Um, you know, if if Roma hadn't made these European runs and Mourinho wasn't Mourinho, would he have been gone after year two? Quite possibly if he was like a FUNSEC ADF type manager. But guess what? Roma won a, a trophy and made another final. So I think that has a lot to do with it, too. And, like, you have to take into account the deep runs they made. Now, look, did EDF make a deep run in tournament? And so did Fonseca, which they had to balance that those competitions, too, to the semifinals. They did. So I guess there's there's that argument to be made, too. But, um, you know, so much can be said, right? And it's just, I think it just makes for fun debate. Um, and depending on if you're a Mourinho supporter or not a Mourinho supporter, I think it could go any which way in, in, in terms of your argument when you see those kind of things. It's the same thing it, it like kind of drives me crazy when players are compared across like generations and decades in any sport um you know whether it's baseball here in the states or you know comparing Messi to Pele or or whatever it is like the game changes so so stats look different quality of competition changes like you know all those things change so it's fun to make those comparisons and and I know this is only a, across a decade but still the league has changed so much and in terms of the like, from one to eight, even, even Fiorentina is much better now than they were, right? They yeah. went through a, a really dry spell. That, that's kind of what led to Atalanta merging, I think, was the the Milan clubs being so dormant. Uh, Fiorentina had kind of taken a step back before uh, Camiso bought them. And it's like, it was a perfect storm for Roma and Napoli to really push. And look, Napoli, God bless, they did it last year after everybody's kind of been back. So credit to them. Um, but for so long, who was the anti Juve? It was Roma, um, yeah, with much less resources than Juve. And, and Napoli was the other one that stepped up a few times. And then, um, you know, recent seasons now we've got the big three back. You've got a, a resurgent Napoli again. You've got Atalanta, who's still a problem. Uh, if you're a big club, you got Fiorentina, who's kind of back. Lazio had a really good season in like three of the past or two of the past four or five seasons. So. Uh, the competition certainly has changed, so I, I think that does make for a, a very um, fun debate, so to speak. Yeah, I
0: I, I get the point. I I wouldn't call myself a huge Mourinho stan or anything. Like I I can I can think of many different managers who I'd be excited to have as Roman's manager, and I also think that you know, worst worst comes to worst, I won't be like heartbroken if and when Mourinho leaves, yeah, I would more just say that I think that at this moment, there are a lot of really good squads in Serie A. And if you want an actual indicator of Roma's quality, I think it's far more helpful to look at how well they do in European Cup tournaments.
2: Yeah, and, and I don't want to take this, too deep because we could always debate this at the end of his tenure when it does come, whether it's this year or in the future. But I think when all is said and done with Mourinho, I think he will have done more positive for the club than negative. Yes. Um, Just because he's already brought a trophy. He's brought some big name players in with his, with his kind of aura that he has, he's helping develop some of these youth players. I, I do think in the end that even with these sixth place finishes, uh, and we'll see where this season ends, because that'll have a lot to do with the two of the final argument, if this does end up being his last season. But I think so far to this point, he's done more positive than negative, even with this you know, argument against him in terms of points per match and and where the league table looks and, and things like that.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I'm still hopeful for Champions League football, regardless of this 1-0 loss, though. I, I think that there's a lot of room for continued growth, and I think that looking at them, Schedule As much as there is, you know, that Derby della Capitale staring mm-hmm. us down in a couple weeks, I would say that out of the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten matches before Christmas, I only see two where I would be penciling in a draw um, in my head, a draw or a loss. Uh, that would be Lazio Roma on the 12th and Roma Napoli on December 23rd. Other than that, they all look like teams and matches that Roma should be winning. So, you know, I think if we're able to get to the Juventus-Roma match on December 30th and we're still in spitting range of top four football, I'll be pretty satisfied. Because, again, I've said this before, but I don't think anyone would have expected Roma to only be four points out of fifth uh, after the start that
2: they had to, to this season. Uh, and, you know, five points out of fourth. Yeah, so it's home for Lecce this weekend. Then they go to Prague for that second Slavia match, that return leg, uh, before going to Lazio, quote-unquote, because it's the same stadium, but the the, the away derby. Um, home for Udinese, away to Servette, away to Sassuolo, home for Fiorentina, home for Sheriff, uh, away to Bologna. And then December 23rd, which is the one Jimmy, Jimmy pointed at, right before Christmas is Napoli. Home, Juve away, uh, Atalanta home, and that closes out the first round of fixtures, and the second round of fixtures kicks off the following week with Milan away. So you just see where that gauntlet lays this season. It's right in that uh, end of 2023, beginning of 2024. So the hope definitely has to be to pile up the points. You know, Fiorentina home, I think, needs to be a win, like you said, just because especially it's the home fixture there. Like, all those matches um, are matches that Romans have to take care of business. Um, gets is tricky, but... My hope, too, just because we're we're looking at the calendar quick, and then, then we'll probably wrap this up, but Slavia Prague next week, and we'll talk before that match, but if they can get a win there, they can kind of cruise through the rest of the group with hopefully some of the younger players, maybe that maybe a Pagano gets a start against servette or Sheriff if Roma's kind of got the group locked up, and I think that's kind of the hope, too, so you can rest players for those matches where you have, like, Bologna the next weekend or, you know, Seswell uh, the next weekend, who are... Or like those tougher mid-table sides that you want your players fresher for. And I, I think clinching that Europa League group in about a week and a half's time would go a long way for Roma as well.
0: Yeah, I think that that's very true. Um, and, you know, we were talking about some of the youth that are being put into the squad as depth right now. If Rome is able to tie up that Europa League group stage sooner rather than later, uh, that could bode very well for their ability to, you know, leading into certain huge matches, feel comfortable rotating out a lot of the starters for match day five or match day six. Uh, I'm hopeful that that could actually happen.
2: Yeah, for sure. So we'll leave it here. Um, you guys can weigh in on the Mourinho points on, on the boards on Twitter. I, we'd love to get your take on that. Um, and then we'll, uh, talk to you guys after Leche next weekend. Uh, so hopefully Rome will bounce back, get back on the right track and then head into, uh, Prague and, and the Derby on the right foot. So thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment.